Hello, reader. I'm Alex. I'm Kelly. And this is the Litroy Podcast. Hi, readers. Today's episode is brought to you by the J. Kristoff Litjoy Collection. You can shop pins, light boxes, our beautiful Nevernight collection, blankets, lots of really cool stuff with really beautiful artwork on it, all inspired by J. Kristoff's works. Hi, readers. Today we have the pleasure of interviewing J. Kristoff. J. Kristoff is the number one international New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of fantasy and science fiction books. He is the winner of eight Aurelius Awards, an ABI, has over 2 million books in print, and is published in over 35 countries, most of which he has never visited. He is as surprised about all of this as you are. He is (laughs) 6'7 and has approximately 11,000 days to live. He does not believe in happy endings. So welcome, Jay. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, and we are excited to chat. We've read many of your books. We've produced special editions of your books, so it's fun to connect with you and to talk a little bit about yeah. your writing process and your journey. Yeah. So I'm very excited. So it's very in the morning here in Melbourne. So I'll try to be as switched on as I can be. It's like nine o'clock, which is really early for me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's, like... that's not <laughs> early for ordinary people, but yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a night person. So I was like, if you want my brain, it's got to be at least at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. or later. Right. Otherwise, yeah. uh, not all my cylinders are going yet. So. Yeah, I learned the other day that your, I think it's called your limbic system. It's like the part of your brain that processes caffeine isn't actually engaged until about an hour after you wake up. So even if you drink a coffee first thing in the morning, it doesn't actually do anything for you. So you've got me on water. So we'll see how we do. (laughs) I'm like, thank you for your sacrifice for being here. That's awesome. Well, um, I want to jump in. I want to know a little bit more about what it was like becoming a writer. And so our first question is, when did you know that you wanted to become a writer? Professionally, I was uh, it was, it was pretty late. I was pretty old. Uh, I mean, I had kind of written for fun for a long time, but I didn't really do it with a view to get published. I didn't really sit down and start trying to write a book with the aim of seeing it in a bookstore one day until I was, wow, I was probably about 38. I was I was really old compared to uh, everybody seems to start nowadays when they're like twenty twenty one, which is amazing to me. I had nothing interesting to say when I was twenty years old. So uh, yeah, I was I was pretty far into the journey. I I wrote for a living. I worked for advertising agencies for about thirteen years. So that was essentially a writing job. Like I was writing TV scripts you know, to sell people cars and toilet paper and whatnot. But that's <laughs> not the same as actually sitting down and writing a novel. But yeah, one day I was kind of bored and frustrated at work so I sat down and started to write a scene and I had it in my head and that scene became a chapter and eventually that chapter became a book so it was a pretty uh, pretty late entry into the game what was that book uh it's it, it never see the light of day it's a bad book <laughs> most <laughs> first books tend to be bad particularly ones that you start writing with no particular plan in mind like I, I was literally just sitting at work in my office bored and so i started writing that was it uh and you know i didn't tell anybody that i was doing and i didn't even tell my wife that i was writing it but it was kind of a silly way to be spending my time and i didn't go into it with any kind of plan so it's pretty bad but it's a it's a vampire book actually it's called cold and and it will never see the light of day but one of the world building ideas in that novel ended up being retooled and used in the Empire of the Vampire books. So 
in a white economy. It's all very cool. I feel like a lot of authors probably have books that have never seen the light of day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I'm probably sure common. they do. You know, yeah. and I love hearing those kind of stories. Though you're just like it's in the drawer somewhere in the basement or something like that. But I yeah, no, it's it's, it's bad. It's bad. It would. Are you sure? <laughs> I, would, I would. I would never publish it ever. But I I have stolen bits and pieces from it. It's important never to throw anything away. Yeah. Uh, because even if it's a bad book, there's probably a few good seeds in there. So yeah, I have cannibalized bits and pieces here and there over the years. That's good. I feel like also. As a writer, you have to write a few bad books. I think as creators, you have to do it bad a few times first before you can start to do it well, not just in writing, but in anything where you're making something out of nothing. You kind of like have yeah. to struggle through it a little bit to learn. Agree. Um, I mean, unless you're some kind of genius or incredibly lucky, um, there are some people who kind of hit it out and park first attempt, but they're. You know, they're very much the exception rather than the rule. I think most of us, yeah, kind of stumble our way through the first few hurdles before we figure out how to run. But yeah, that's a natural part of any anything. You know, you get better at it the more you do it. So keep going. I was going to follow up with something you mentioned where you said you were working for an ad agency. And I wanted to kind of hear about some of your uh, job and career before becoming an author and how any of those jobs have played into any of the books you've possibly written or have they or have they not? Uh, I mean, they certainly, that certainly makes me appreciative of being able to do what I do now for a living. Uh, working in ads, I have to be careful because I still got friends who <laughs> work in ads <laughs> and who run their own agencies now. Uh, it's, it was a really fun job for a really long time. It was super creative environment. Um, and you're surrounded by creative people. So it's kind of high energy. And, uh, but you know, that comes, with a lot of late nights and a lot of weekends. And the the biggest problem I had with it in the end was that you're not master of your own fate. You're, you're a servant of a lot of different masters, both within the agency structure itself and the client, which has its own uh, political structures and, you know, Game of Thrones style politics going on, depending how big the organization is. So you're, you're dealing with a lot of variables along the way that can change your idea into something that you didn't envisage. You can write the best scripts that you've ever written in your life, the coolest idea that you've ever written. Uh, and, you know, the client's just having a bad day and they say no to it and that's the end. You know, you know it doesn't yeah. get any further. So you're not really in control of your own creative output and it's, a, it's usually an exercise in compromise. You're trying to make 20 people in this meeting room happy. Uh, and so you end up shaving off all the edges uh, and your idea becomes something that you didn't really imagine. So it, it was a really cool experience, but it's creatively, it can be quite a frustrating one as well. So that was one of the reasons why I, I started writing for myself because I wanted to have something that was entirely mine uh, that I could control. And if it ended up being bad, I didn't have any excuses. I couldn't say, well, the client ruined it. If it was bad, it was because I wasn't good enough yet. So that was kind of one of the driving forces for me going up and doing something. But it was it, it was a cool job for a lot of years. I'm really grateful for it. I had a lot of great friends. And it was a really good, weirdly enough, it was a really good kind of training ground for being a co-author as well. Because when you're a creative, I worked in the creative department. Usually the way those teams are organized are in pairs. You'll have a copywriter and an outright together in a room, just kind of bouncing ideas off each other all day. Uh, and you learn to, 
you know, accept criticism and have thick skin and learn to work collaboratively. And all of those skills were really useful when I started writing books with Amy. So in a weird way, it ended up being a really kind of boot camp for co-authored them. Yeah. yeah. And even it, I was going to say, we had the pleasure of getting to work with you and creating an incredible Nevernight set. Oh, yeah. And it's beautiful. It was, I, I could see the influence of your job, right? Because you have an eye for detail that I haven't seen in other authors that we've worked with. Like you down to the <laughs> saying, I'm like, like, it's a way, not way to say I'm a control No, no, no. Let me, re- <laughs> no. Let me rephrase this. It was a, it's a said- level of detail that was awesome because it was like you knew exactly what you wanted and you could describe to us like here's what i want to change and why and here's what i would suggest and it was like easy peasy and we would oh that's you know, good change. yeah mm-hmm. honestly it was you were easy flawless to work with it was a pleasure and it was really helpful because you would give us insight in a way that uh it's like really specific instead of us just like hoping we got it right and guessing like you right. always know like you have that design eye um, that might have come from just a natural talent, from, you know, honed with your job. But uh, it was such a pleasure to work with you in that regard because, again, you were always complimentary, but you're like, and let's just tweak this little thing. And then it was like, perfect. Yeah. This is great. So, That's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. I, so I was like, I thought that really played well to the strength of where you are. And do you feel like you have like a say in the design of your covers? Like, I feel like you do now. I don't know if you always did. I do but- now. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely an exception to the rule again there though, uh, mm. you know, depending on the author and where they are in their career, they'll have more input than others. Uh, mm. but I, because I do come from a design background, kind of a visual arts background, and I was an art director for kind of 13 years, I can kind of speak designer, so to speak. Um, so instead of, you know, when I, when I give feedback, I can kind of be, uh, I'm, I won't be vague about it. I can tell you exactly what it means and why. I can talk directly to the designers. So my, my publishers learned pretty quickly that I would make a, a pain of myself if I wasn't included in the process. Um, it's just the way I am. Uh, and so they kind of they, they figured out very quickly that things just go smoother if I'm included early and get to chat one-on-one with the designers. And I'll often now brief the illustrators just personally because I know them. I've, I've worked with Jason Chan since the first Storm Dance, the book in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've worked with Kirby since the first Nevernight book. Uh, so those guys, you know, we kind of have a shorthand. We can kind of bounce ideas back and forth. And Michaela, who's the designer for Harper Voyager, she's, you know, one of the best designers that I've ever worked with. She's a super sweet dog. She just gets it. Uh, yeah. And, you know, coming from a design background, we can, yeah, we kind of talk the same language. So, yeah, I, I do get a lot more input, e- even in, not just in cover design, but kind of internal design, um, you know, the, the different logo devices we're using and which map artists we draw and whatnot. I'm pretty heavily involved in all of that stuff now. Mm. Um, but that's because, you know, yeah, like I say, my publisher figured out that I make a pain in the butt of myself <laughs> if I'm not included early. So. Yeah. <laughs> you have a talent. Yes, it's a talent. Right. It's like you're it's, not so just, a, a, nice just a writer. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it, it makes sense. Um, you mentioned working, I mean, Kelly and I have been to several book signings of yours, so we've heard you talk about working with Amy before, but for our readers out there who might not have seen you at a signing, I think it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about what it's like working with Amy Kaufman as co-writers and how maybe that writing experience differs from your own writing routines and, you know, how, by extension, how do you write when you're writing alone 
a book and how do you write when you're writing in this collaborative partnership? And yeah. if I'm going to jump in, uh, why don't I, like, how did it even happen? Like, how did this come about? And then all Start the rest, the yeah, I'm like, <laughs> we'll sit back for the backstory. Yeah, sure. So Amy and I, uh, we met through a friend of hers, a, a colleague of hers and a friend of mine. It's a weird story, but it's a fun one. So when you're a foreign national earning money in the United States, professionally and regularly, you, you basically need a social security number for foreign residents. It's called an ITIN, International Tax mm-hmm. Identification Number. Uh, and you get this by dealing with the IRS. I don't know if you've ever dealt much <laughs> yeah, with the IRS before. Oh, but yeah, we own a business. so Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> uh, it's it's pretty convoluted and complicated process to get this number. And it took me about three or four attempts to get it, but I eventually figured it out. Uh, and Amy was, her first novel was coming out about six months after mine was. And this colleague of hers kind of walked past her office one day, heard her swearing. And Amy doesn't swear very often. So it's like, oh, what's <laughs> going on? Uh, and she started ranting to him about the ridiculous things that she had to do to get this bloody ITI in. Uh, <laughs> and he said, well, I, I happen to know someone who just did this exact thing. Why don't I give you his email address in? You can shoot him an email and ask him what the secret password is. So, yeah, she just emailed me out of the blue and said, hey, you know, Nick, I'm an author and I'm trying to get this thing done and you apparently know how. So we got together and had brunch and after that we just started getting together every month because we were kind of both baby authors living in Melbourne. We didn't really know one else in the community. So we were just sounding boards for each other. We would get together and talk about where we're at in the publishing journey and ask questions about each other that we were too embarrassed to ask our editors and whatever, and we just became friends. <laughs> and after about six months of that, Amy came in one morning and said that she had a dream that we wrote a book together. She couldn't remember what the book was about, but she remembered <laughs> that it was written in email format. It was like two characters just emailing each other back and forth. And so we just started kicking around the idea of what a book like that might actually be. And through a very kind of convoluted process that's basically what became Illuminae. So yeah, it was it started as a dream. Which is awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's amazing. So how long have you and Amy known each other? We started getting together and having brunch. Wow, I want to say probably twenty thirteen. It's probably like ten years ago. I should check I should check my photos and see when the first time we actually met up was. Uh actually yeah, probably twenty really early twenty thirteen. It's been like ten years. Um, and yeah, we started working on Illuminae in 2013 as well. Yeah. Illuminae is still like one of the best sci-fi that, on my list, top of my Absolutely. list. Yeah, yeah I, so. I still love those books. I, I, it's weird. I was looking through them uh, the other day. Uh, I was rearranging my bookshelves um, and because I got new carpets in the study, so I had to pull everything off and put it on again. It took about 7,000 years. But I was just kind of picking books off the shelves as I was doing it. And I kind of picked through a little and I was like, yeah, this book is actually still really cool. And I'm really proud of what we did. We Thank did some you. weird stuff, but it was it was cool. Um, yes, yeah, so insofar as what it's like working together as opposed to solo, I mean, it's a lot It's a lot more fun. Uh, you're not just sitting in a room by yourself, kind of talking to people in your head. You've got someone there that you can bounce ideas off and kind of get immediate creative feedback from. Uh, what The way Amy and I usually work was... We would go to a pub together. Uh, Amy doesn't drink, but I do. So she would just kind of sit there and watch me drink. About drink number four was when the magic starts to happen. Uh, and we would just kind of bounce ideas back and forth off each other. 
uh, we would write about a hundred plot about a hundred pages in advance, um, figure out exactly what needed to happen in those hundred pages, and then break them up into POVs, and then break apart and go away and do our individual pieces. So, and then reconvene after a hundred pages. We figured out that if we plotted too much further than that, we would inevitably think of a cooler idea. You know, someone would text somebody else at three o'clock in the morning, say, "Hey, what if it, wouldn't it be cool if we did this instead?" And inevitably, this was a better idea. So. If you plot like 400 pages of a novel and then 50 pages in, you change your mind. Those 350 pages of plot just gets thrown out the window. So we figured out about 100 pages at a time was the sweet spot. And yeah, then we were just going right up POV bits. Yeah. Do you do that with your own writing or do you plot all the way through beginning to end? I plot basically up to the three-quarter mark nowadays. Uh, I like the ends still to be able to surprise me um the fun part of writing for me is when the book does something that even i didn't expect because i figure if that surprises me it's probably going to surprise the reader as well so i have a rough idea of what the ending is going to be but i like to leave things a little open-ended just so there's there's room for a cool twist or a turn that i even i didn't anticipate but originally i didn't even i didn't plot at all i was a total fly by the seat of your pants writer when i wrote alone like the entire Nemanite trilogy, I didn't plot any of that. I would just sit there and write every day. Just made it up the whole thing as I went on. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, I'm like, when is, when did you know the uh, who the author of the Nevernight series, or I guess the Nevernight books? Meta? The narrator. Uh, yeah. Who did? When did you know I, who that was? I had to decide that when I was finishing book two. Up until that point, it, it could have been any one of three characters. It could have been. Oh my gosh! I, I don't know if it's spoiling. Like it could have been Mister Kindly. Mister Kindly was a possibility. Trick was a possibility, and Mercurio was a possibility. For the longest time, I thought it was going to be Mister Kindly. Interesting. Um, yeah, how I had would, no idea. How would he use a pen? <laughs> I, don't, I was like, I, so, I have logistical just questions. Go with the magic. That's an excellent <laughs> question. It's probably an idea that I did. Uh, I don't. Know, he grew in his power or something. He could manipulate things well. It's like a superpower you wish you had that I could just like make the story appear. Uh, maybe he's just narrating to someone else, a very faithful scribe sitting in the yeah. corner. Yeah. He's narrating uh, to Trick. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a whole thing. So, yeah, for, for, it wasn't until I started working on Empire that I really sat down and started to plot books um, because I was finding that when I, when I was just pantsing it, I was taking too many wrong turns. Like the Empire books are just, you know, longer and more complicated than anything that I've written before. So if I took a wrong turn, I would end up wasting a lot more time than uh, was feasible. So in the end, I decided that I had to sit down and, uh, you know, figure out exactly what was going to happen. So I didn't keep turning off into cul-de-sacs. And weirdly enough, the, the plotting that I had learned, you know, I basically learned how to plot in advance working with Amy. So a lot of that skill set kind of came in handy when I started plotting my work as well. Yeah. I kind of got that um, impression from you and Amy and just seeing interviews with both of you that Amy seems to be this person who can bring such structure to a process. And was that your experience? Yeah. I, I know she mentioned she was like, I definitely like structure a lot of the cadence of our writing and and getting the book done and like hitting those deadlines. And so I'm curious if that's from your perspective, um, how it felt in co-writing with her. Yeah, she's definitely the organizational brain. Yeah, 
she's um yeah i mean in terms of, in terms of deadline and stuff like that we're both pretty good um mm-hmm. i think when you're working with a co-author in particular you want to hit your targets because otherwise your co-author is just sitting around waiting for you to do the bit that they need you to do before they can do theirs so it's kind of disrespectful if you drag your feet and, and don't get your stuff on time um but yeah she's yeah, she's got a she's got a very analytical and organizational mind. Um, I'm kind of the yeah. I don't I don't want to say stereotypical creative, um, but yeah, she's she's certainly more buttoned down and process driven than I am. So it was cool to kind of have those two different perspectives. What do you think, um, Amy would say you you imparted on her in working together, like? <sighs> Killing off characters. I'm like, what? <laughs> he brought a lot of death and destruction. Yeah, because I, I guarantee you guys learned so much from each other. You know, Alex and I constantly are still doing that. And I bring death and destruction. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, I don't know. I don't want to speak for her. That would probably be what she said, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, that I, um, I guess I, I maybe imparted the value of uh, yeah, heavy moments of storytelling, bad things happening to characters, uh, not being afraid to break the thing that you've built. Um, yeah, the, the, I guess there's a touch of darkness that runs through my writing that you know maybe wasn't present in hers. Although that said, like, Amy, some of the things that happen in Illuminate, for example, the bad stuff, like that was all Amy. She has this kind of, she has this angelic countenance, and people think that she's super sweet, but she can bring the evil when she wants to. Make no mistake. Um, oh, but yeah. I remember we we did have this big. It wasn't really an argument. We, Amy and I have never had a fight. Is the weird thing we've never really got into an argument about the way the book should go. We've had discussions, we've had disagreements, but we've never you know lost temper with each other or anything like that. But we had a big debate. I guess we were away on a writing retreat uh, with a bunch of other authors, and we were plotting the end of the Illuminate trilogy. We were writing like the finale of Obsidia. Uh, and basically, I want to kill off a bunch of the characters because um, I'm, I'm a very big believer in, you know, victory without sacrifice is meaningless as a storytelling maxim. Uh, and Amy didn't want to. She felt that was kind of breaking the promise of the book because, you know, in the first one, you see that Ezra is dead, but he's not. It's all good. Uh, and so kind of shifting tone for the third book and Paul actually a whole bunch of your faves, she felt like that was kind of a break in tone. And we had this really long debate about it. And we realized about an hour into it, all the other authors that we had been in the room with had kind of just quietly stood up and left the room (laughs) (laughs) as we argued back and forth with each other. And uh, they told us afterwards it was like watching their parents have a fight. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, we don't feel safe. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but I, I really love winning that, that debate. Um, yeah. And, and to this day, I think it was the right decision. It was, it was cool. But yeah, I, I tend to stray dark. I tend to like, I'm, I was the kid at the beach who enjoyed knocking over the sandcastle being built more than building the sandcastle itself. That's the best part of the day. So yeah, <laughs> she, she made, made me a little bit of that wrapped up on her. That's funny. Was there ever a moment in your writing career where you felt like, Oh, I'm a writer. I'm I'm an author. That's what I do now. That's my job. Because you came into writing. Well, you you were always a writer, but you came into being an author a little bit later, as you describe it. So, was there a moment where you're like, "Wow, this is really happening. This is 
this is something that when people Google me, this is what comes up. I'm a writer. I'm an author. Yeah. Um, it was probably when I got to quit my day job. Uh, I never thought I would be able to do that. Like the idea that I could do this for a living as opposed to, you know, something that I did on the side was something that never really occurred to me when I first started out. So when I had the opportunity to, I mean, in hindsight, I wasn't, I wasn't, it probably wasn't the smartest financial decision at the time. I really wasn't set up for it, but I wasn't having fun at my regular job. And uh, I kind of had a lose my temper moment with my boss and ended up just throwing, pulling the pin on the whole thing. But uh, yeah, that was kind of the moment, I guess, when I actually got to do it full time and I got to sit down at my desk in my study and say, okay, this is my job now. I need to do this to pay the bills, to keep the lights on, to make the mortgage repayments and all that kind of stuff. That was a big switch. Um, but I, even something as cool as just walking into a bookstore and seeing your books on the shelves, seeing like a shelf wobble with staff recommendation or something, there's that, I mean, that never gets old. That's that's the, one of the coolest parts of the job. Yeah. But quitting the day job was a, a really big kind of milestone moment. Was that before or after you hadn't published anything? I'm curious as yeah, the timeline. That was, that was, I went full-time in 2014. Um, so after, basically after the Illuminate deal came through. Um, and in hindsight, that was, you know, I, I probably couldn't have kept working a day job and do Illuminate because, there were, you know, it was just so much more time intensive than most books that I worked on because in addition to the writing, there was all the design stuff that was happening in the background as well. So it was a, it was a big job um, and pretty fast turnaround considering so. And yeah, in hindsight, it was a good thing that I wasn't working full time. I probably would have had a nervous breakdown or something. Uh, but yeah, that was that was twenty fourteen, so ten years ago. Wow, that's a big moment. Yeah, I'm it was like, awesome. That, it's yeah. like the second second best day of my life. <laughs> Tell, telling my boss she could take my job and restart it. Um, yeah, the, my wedding is probably not number one. But, uh, oh, wedding's yeah. number one. Okay. I was going to say, like, do I dare ask if it was the wedding? Okay. Yeah, no, no, it was the wedding. <laughs> We're not going to get you in trouble. <laughs> that's uh, that's a good answer. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, when you create your own thing out of nothing, yeah. like like uh, with LitJoy, I think it was yeah when I when I paid for my house, my my mortgage, like I. It yeah, no longer sure. was it this like side hobby to run a company, even though we've been working, you know, 60 hour weeks for four years. But, uh, you know, you get to the point where you're like, oh, and and then here is like the evidence that I'm going to be OK because of this yeah. thing I made it, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like Stephen King has that that great saying. It's like if you, I, I'm paraphrasing here, basically, but if it's like if you wrote a thing, you got paid for the thing and you used that payment to to keep your to pay your light bill or something like that to keep your light yeah. stand up and you're a professional writer um so yeah, yeah it, it yeah. is a, it is a cool moment to, was that in on writing i re- that sounds familiar and yeah i, I think it is a, yeah. i think it is on writing that's one of my favorite yeah. uh, crafts that's a good it's a good one and it's it's kind of autobiographical and too, yeah which which he's a really interesting person and so it it, it works for him <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing journey that he was on. Uh, and he's had some pretty extraordinary things happen to him. I think, I think he would be like of, of any author if I met them and I was going to, you know, go full fangirl on them. Like, I think 
<laughs> Stephen King would be that guy. I would probably just lose my <laughs> tiny mind. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, I'm manifesting that in some scenario, oh, man, you get to meet Stephen King. Yeah, just bump that to him in the airport. Yeah. He, he came to Utah and we, we saw him. We saw him and he oh, wow. it was like a full auditorium packed, of course. Oh, you know? yeah. Kind. And he is a hoot. He is just authentic, down to earth, just says that exactly how he feels it. I don't know how to explain him, just salt of the earth kind of a person. Very much. Yeah, so. He was cool, in cool. like, he was in like Reeboks and Costco yeah. jeans. <laughs> he nice. was just like, yeah. hey. very chill. <laughs> he was great. And you could just tell immediately that uh, he is very much aware of his own hubris. Like, you know, he knows that he's going to die like everybody else. That's kind right. of the, like, he, there wasn't ego in the game. But uh, yeah, he was just a fabulous speaker he's so interesting to mm -hmm. listen to and that was one of my favorite signings we've ever been to it was just to experience like his genius yeah, so, yeah. he's that's cool he's an extraordinary it sounds like he's one of your favorite authors so yes do you have a very like a specific book that just like really made an impression on you of his mm -hmm. books uh, it's hard picking one probably salem's lot i would think uh, okay. Salem's Lot was the first time that I remember kind of seeing myself in a book. Mm -hmm. The character Mark, Mark Petrie, who's basically this young nerdy kid who reads horror comics and figures out before the adults do that vampires are taking over his town. Um, he's kind of an outsider character, and same as I was when I was his age. Uh, I imagine the same as Stephen was when he was his age. So, yeah, he he was kind of the first time when I looked at a kid and thought, yeah, I could I could probably do that job. Um, but yeah, Salem's Lot. It's it's also one of the coolest vampire novels ever written. Like it was a big influence on Empire, um, and you know I, it's probably been man, 10, 15 years since I read that book, but I can still quote lines from it. There's some of the scenes in there that will stick with me for the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, I, I, like I I remember it was you know I'm pretty old, uh, and it was like. 19 in 1980s i kind of discovered him as an author and he was the first he he kind of introduced me to the concept of an author like i knew what books were before then but i didn't really understand conceptually that people created them and that a person would make a lot of books and they were all kind of the same um but you know you would work into a news agency back then and there would just be a row in there of stephen king novels because he was bigger than jesus and i, I kind of realized <laughs> oh this is this is all the work of one guy. And if I like one of his books, I'm probably going to like the others of his books. So I should read all of his books. So yeah, conceptually, he was the first author that kind of lived in my head. Yeah. Do you, so you mentioned seeing yourself in Mark as a character and I'm interested um, from the characters in your books, you've written some pretty formidable and memorable characters. And I am curious, is there any one of your characters that you would want to meet in real life or uh, by extension was there a favorite character to write i know that's like picking your favorite kid that it's hard it to do so and uh and and, and any author work that's all just probably going to tell you that the character they're writing right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah yeah and, uh, i mean ones that aside from the ones that i'm working on right now like i, I love empire it's the coolest series that I've ever written. I think Barry the Vampire is the best book that I've ever written. Um, but aside from aside from those, the ones that stick with me the most would be uh, Aiden from Illuminate, just because 
not only it was a, it was a cool character perspective to write, but it was also a doorway into all of that cool design typography um, and graphic elements that we got to introduce into the book, like taking it of Aiden as the God's eye view for the, for the narrative um, and having his, it's, I shouldn't say his, uh, it's damage kind of affects the way that typography and design elements play down on the page was kind of a light bulb moment of that whole series that opened up the door to what it became. Um, so yeah, it, it was just a really fun space to play in creatively. Um, sorry, go on. I just wanted to say with Aiden specifically, um, when I read Illuminate the first time, I listened to it and read the book. So yeah, me too. Oh, I, sure. I was, yeah. Yeah. So I was in a fully immersive experience of like I was listening and turning the pages. And yeah. um I got to the page where it just I think it says I am, but just I am, I am, I am over and over again. Right. Um and it's Aiden's page. And I just started weeping. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and, I, and I just thought that that was such an interesting, visceral, like emotional response to this AI. And um, and I think that's the part of the book where like I got it. Uh, like I understood the that character and understood how it does have this humanity to it, which is disturbing and interesting. Um, but also, yeah, it just, I, I felt for that fake character, which all characters are fake, but you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that, that's a really high compliment. Thanks for letting me know. It's, it's a weird thing to be pleased that you made someone cry. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's uh, not that yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the idea that you can feel anything at all for an imaginary character, something that, you know, just came out of our heads, uh, is a huge compliment. So yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, it, it it was a fun space to play in. Mia, Mia is also a fave. She's always going to be a fave. Like, so that trilogy was really the trilogy that changed my life. Yeah, you know, she, Mia is the reason why I stayed a full time author rather than just a guy who quit his day job for a couple of years and then had to go back. Um, yeah, Nevernight was really transformative in that sense, and I. Meet readers even to this day. I mean, the, the first Nemonite book came out in 2016, I think. Um, I'm, you know, people are, are still discovering that series today. So it had a, it, it has had a longevity, and she's had an impact that no one imagined. Like no one understood yeah. we were working with when I first started writing that book. So yeah, she's she's a she's a fave. Yeah, I find that oftentimes, I, I mean, I think every author does and doesn't write their book hoping that it'll be something as prolific or like influential as Mia like you always kind of hope but then you also don't set the expectation I feel like it could kill the story dead it's so yeah it's like hoping to win the lottery <laughs> yeah yeah but it's good like I, I mean yes hoping to win a lottery but you got you bought most of the tickets like that's <laughs> like it's a great book <laughs> they're fantastic I mean immediately when we started doing special editions I was like okay we did Laney's and I I love Stranger Dreamer and that will forever be I, so I think Stranger Dreamer might be one of the best fantasies of all time I if think she's I, like, the best fantasy author working today she's yeah, my favorite incredible. fantasy author really yeah I love yeah. Laney I love, I love Laney she's incredible I know it, I immediately followed it up though, and I was like, "Well, now we need to talk to Jay Kristoff because I want to do Nevernight." Um, and then I kept making everyone in the team read Nevernight, <laughs> and they're like, "It's a lot," 
And I was like, it's so great, right? <laughs> the apologies so, to the date. Yeah. Oh, no. I was like, you're all going to be okay. We'll pay you more for therapy. It'll be fine. Like, just get the- yeah. yeah. I, I, I love, love everything that you write because it there's this epic quality to it. Yeah. It, it's like, this is not like a frivolous book in any sense any book that you write it's got so much depth to it and it's so thought out like there's so many nuances and in Nevernight particularly the footnotes oh yeah let's talk about the footnotes, footnotes. I was like yes. I, that just made the book even better it was already incredible and then I was just like this is amazing also had to read and listen at the same time because of the footnotes yes, for that yes. one <laughs> so that uh, the audio book, I bet, see, the weird thing is I don't listen to the audio books of my books. Um, oh, I, 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 I listen well, to the I narrator get... um, and, and kind of get a sense of their read and if they're getting the character right. But I've never sat down and listened to the full audio book read of one of my books. It's just a weird thing to do. It feels kind of yeah. egotistical and self-indulgent. So well, I, I a lot of authors that, say they, that. Yeah. The footnotes in the audio book of Nemanite, did they? Uh, he just reads them. Okay. He's a fantastic. He's yeah. a fantastic reader. Um, sorry, Kelly, you can. Sorry, oh, I, I just said you. Know, I actually didn't realize it was footnotes for a minute. The way he, the uh, audio reads, and yeah, then when I opened okay. the book, I was like, "Oh, this makes more sense." You know, like seeing right. the two. And he kind of slightly changes the cadence of his a voice, little, yeah. so that you kind of know once. Once I got through the first maybe like ten chapters of listening, then which Kelly and I just as a as like a. FYI, we listen to a lot of audiobooks because we work so much. And so a lot of times we're consuming books through audio. And I found that, yeah, I found that by the time I got to about chapter 10, I could tell the difference in the cadence of his voice when he went into a footnote. And usually it ended up like you could tell it was a footnote by like the second or third sentence when they're talking about like some guy who owns a bar yeah. And like was castrated. And you're all, oh, this is a footnote. It doesn't have anything to do with plot. And you're like, perfect. Okay, great. Um, but I am curious, when did you decide, was it like you having these thoughts and you're like, I'm just going to put that down. And then you're like, these should become footnotes. Or did you know from like the first chapter that you're like, I need footnotes. When did you kind of get that, that impression? I think it, I think it came pretty early in the process. Um, my, my logic was that I knew that I was coming from like, in theory, people were going to come from Illuminate to Nevernote because Illuminate was published first. Uh, and, you know, they're typically going to be a YA reader. And Nevernote was going to be epic fantasy. There is crossover between those two genres, but sometimes YA readers aren't as interested in the world building and the kind of granularity of it uh, in the same way that an epic fantasy reader was. I personally love that stuff. I love big doors up at epic fantasy books that'll spend a page and a half talking about why this particular dish is prepared the way it is and what the history of it is. Um, <laughs> but some, some people just don't care. So the idea was to compartmentalize the more granular world building parts. So if you weren't interested in why this sword fighting style was named what it was and who the first person to fight with it was, you could just skip that stuff and just roll on with the story. And you weren't missing out on anything important. But if you were the kind of person who enjoyed that level of detail in your world building, you could read the footnote and get a little bit extra. That was the initial thought. But very quickly, it kind of became an opportunity for the narrator to insert himself into the text and make you aware in a meta sense that 
this was a person telling you a story and knew that you were a person listening to their story. Uh, so you could kind of drop hints about the meta structure of the books that becomes a little more clear in God's Grave and Dark Dawn. But also it was, it was a way to be funny. It was probably ended up being the most important part of it because, you know, Nemonite's a pretty dark story. It's a pretty dark world. There's some pretty awful things happening in it. Uh, and if you, if I didn't kind of take the time to insert humor, it would, it would probably be pretty unrelentingly grim. So the footnotes were a way to kind of insert moments of levity and kind of nervous giggles to break dramatic tension or break, break overbearing tension. Um, and hopefully have people enjoying themselves even when terrible things were actually happening. <laughs> so I en- ended up doing a lot more jobs than I initially envisaged when I, when I started out. Um, but yeah, they're, they're very divisive. Some people love them and some people hate them. Oh, they're a joy. Yeah, they're I was like, joy. who hates them? And they're reading the wrong book. Really- <laughs> I was like, now I'm that you see that, like- Jay, yeah. I'm like, you do walk that knife's edge so well of like really intense, dark, mixed in with just the right amount of humor to lighten it. It's so perfectly balanced. And I think for people who are... Like, 100%. Like, people who wouldn't normally be into something that's a little more dark or violent, I'm like, just give it a try because, like, it it has the just enough of what, you know, the the humor, the lightheartedness, um, the awkward giggle. What were you calling it? The nervous giggle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, yeah. it's just enough, like you were saying, that it, it's uh, it gives it that that breath that you need to like turn the page because you're all, okay, what next is going to happen, you know? But in in between, you're just like... Okay. <laughs> so I was like, you're a master of that. It's incredible. I actually um, just unlocked. Oh, good. Sorry. Sorry. You can, you can say thank you for the compliment. I'll give you the <laughs> no, I just, I did. Thanks. It's very sweet of you. Thank you. Yeah. I, like I just, I unlocked a core memory when you were talking about that. I actually vividly remember I got an arc of Nevernight because Lit Joy had kind of just started. And oh, so I got, we started cool. in 2016, like January of 2016 is when we started. And um, I got an arc of Nevernight. And I'm just like dying because I didn't, I hadn't read Illumina yet, but I had, I had uh, next to my bed, just like a orange pencil, like a colored pencil that my kid had left there. And I actually color pencil highlighted throughout the whole book lines that I loved. And so now I've I've defaced a copy of Nevernight. That arc is probably worth something. That's probably worth something. Yeah. Yeah. There's There's one arc in particular. It was, it was like, the the UK did it. It was the arc before the arc. It has like two birds on it. They're very rare. They oh, only yeah. made a couple of hundred of them. I think I saw oh. them selling for some ridiculous amount of money the other day. Um, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's cool, but just for any reason, face who, tools, yeah, yeah, it's, it's I, I'm forever. really sorry, but kind of not. It's always mine. <laughs> it's very special. I know it's special. Okay, uh, what were you gonna say? I was just gonna say for any reader who's not familiar with the term ARC. It just oh, yeah. means it's an advanced reader copy that go out for people to read in advance to see, you know, if they want to I don't know, put it in their bookstores, you know, specialty crates like ours, if they want to include yeah, give it, it reviews, give it promote reviews, it, help yeah. others. Yeah. So uh, to, to get these, uh, especially if it's a book that gets really popular, they are very treasured, cherished books. I have a couple as well. So uh, yeah, we actually they, have we hoard them. <laughs> yeah, another one I have is we have like Bridge of Clay that's like yeah. the manuscript, not even the arc. Oh so wow! It's like, we have a few cool ones that just working at Litjoy. We're all it's our most it's, precious treasure. Yeah. <laughs> Save this if the house gets us fire. <laughs> yeah, the Bridge of Clay arc and the dog <laughs> and the kids and then run. 
In that order. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 That's funny. Um, oh, Kelly, did you have a, sorry, I th- feel like I cut you off. Um, no, I, I love just being, we're just kind of chatting through a bunch of your series. Um, I want to also make sure we talk about Empire of the Vampire, which yes. is your current series. Um, and so I w- go ahead, if you can, give us a quick elevator pitch of this one. Because I wouldn't know how to give it an elevator pitch. <laughs> in, in, I mean, at the, the two second pitch, it's, <laughs> it's I a know, long I, well, book. This is an epic yeah. one. So I was like, how do I encapsulate it's, this? It's it's basically vampires and epic fantasy. It's vampires yeah. meets Game of Thrones, I guess. So it's Ooh, set in yeah. a world um where the sun doesn't shine as brightly anymore. Uh the sun still comes up, it still rises and sets, but it doesn't have the same level of intensity. Uh and it's kind of a faux medieval European world in which vampires are real and they've figured out that the sun doesn't burn them the way it used to so they can walk around freely during the day. They're not as strong as they are at night, but they can still walk around. Uh, and they basically just start rising up around this country and slowly taking it over. And the story centers around a guy named Gabriel de Leon, who is the last surviving member of a monastic order of monster hunters. And he begins the book in captivity of a, of a group of vampires and they kind of charge him with telling the story of his life. So the first novel is kind of dual timeline. He splits his time between telling the story of when he was a young boy and he was first indoctrinated into the order. Uh, and when he's a much older man and he's dragged into a quest kind of against his will to look for a way to bring the sun back to the sky. Um, and the, the, the tale kind of bounces back and forth between young Gabe and, young kind of idealist and, um, you know god-fearing faithful believes he can change the world's plucky gabe to old jaded bitter alcoholic weight of the world on his shoulders gabe and hopefully throughout the course of the novel you're wondering how this boy turned into this old grumpy man um and yeah it's it, it's basically the story of trying to bring the sun back to the sky so yeah, vampires meets Game of Thrones. There you go. Perfect. I, I want to know <laughs> also how long it took you to conceptualize this, because from my point of view, it sounds like vampires have been rolling around in the, in the noggin for a while. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, tell me the arc of how this all began and when. Um, yeah, well, like I said, the first book that I ever wrote was a vampire novel, but that, that was also like in the middle of Twilight, well, kind of the tail end of Twilight hysteria. So vampires have very much played out at that point. But I've loved them ever since I was a kid. I've always wanted to write a vampire novel. So I kind of waited until the, the furor had died down and picked my spot to try and bring them back. Um, but I had been planning the novel. I guess the seeds of it kind of got planted towards the tail end of writing Namanite, maybe back in like 2017, I guess. Uh, I started kicking around ideas. I usually start with a few visions visual ideas like i'm a kind of visually minded writer and i'll have images that kind of pop up into my head and i'll build narratives around them so games started popping up in my head yeah maybe 2017 um and i pitched the idea to my agent and he liked it and we went from there but in terms of the writing process it probably took i'm going to say three years to write that book not not constant three years like i was working on other projects as well um, you know we were wrapping up uh, we're writing Aurora, and I was working on the Lifelike series as well. So I had other things on my plate, but over the course of about three years, 
that that novel kind of came into the shape that it ended up being. Um, it was the hardest book that I've ever written in my life. It was the most complicated just in terms of scale and scope and word count, um, but also the the places that I went thematically were a little bit heavier than places that I had been before. So it was it was a super fun and super unfun book to write at the same time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super proud of it. I think it's I think it's the best thing that I've ever written. So yeah, it was worth it in the end. Yeah. I was like, congratulations. I'm like reading it. it, it, You can see the difference, like obviously from your other books in the writing style. And it is, again, epic, as you would say. So you're getting a lot of that backstory and those details. Sure. And just really setting the stage, which is amazing because it's just like you said, it's like I could feel like I was there. I could like just almost like see the breath in the air kind of experience. And um, it it reminded me personally, I haven't read Salem's Lot. So out of time. I don't know. Um, but I've read, you know, Anne Rice interview the vampire and mm-hmm. vampire Lestat. And it had that kind of a feel to me where hundred percent, it just yes. it has a different type of, uh, depth to it than, you know, like twilight, you know, that's not a great example, but, uh, just yeah. any other vampire book I'd read before. And mm-hmm. cause I've read a lot, you know, uh, I, I run a book club and that was popular. Everyone wanted to read all these vampire books as they were coming out. So I read all the vampire books that were popular at the time. And then that's when I started reading Anne Rice. And I'm like, oh, this is like that's a whole different game. Yes. Yes. And yeah. that I was much more drawn to that. And so uh, sorry, I keep asking all these questions. You know, you're great. No, so no, I was no. like, okay. I love the vampire. I, I um, love it. I love the vampire list at or no, interview, interview with the vampire. Interview. Uh, interview. That's, They're that, both I think great. That's my favorite uh, vampire novel ever written. I think Salem Slot would be up really? there. But interview, I, yeah, yeah, is an extraordinary novel. That was one of the I kind of sat down and studied the craft of three novels before I started writing Empire, kind of with a view to figure out how the author was doing what they were doing. Uh, one of them was Name of the Wind by Pat Rothfuss. One of them was Blood Song by Anthony Ryan. And the last one, and probably the most important, was Interview with the Vampire by um, the Lady Anne. Uh, yeah, like in terms of the way that narrative builds and the devices that she's using, you don't even really see them. You're not really conscious of them until you kind of go in and, and study them in depth. But yeah, that, that book is truly extraordinary. It's one of my favorite novels of all time. Have you read the vampire Lestat then as well? Or yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. The inter- yeah, yeah. I, I read, a, I read up, I read up to body thief. Body thief was yeah. kind of where I felt like it had run its course. And I yeah, checked you're it like, out. <laughs> we're done. Yeah. She's Anne Rice is an interesting person. When we, we kind of did a book club on her and um oh yeah she's, she's a very yeah she's gone through some very different genres and kind of yeah. going in and out like that she took like a turn into like more religious and she was like i'm gonna write bdsm it was like all, erotica oh okay yep. But, yep. Like, that's what i love about her yeah that she she's so talented she didn't feel confined she was mm-hmm. like there's nothing like this out there that i would want to read i'm gonna write it yeah, and she didn't. She didn't let any genre hold her back. She was just writing what she was a true she badass. Oh yeah, yeah I know. she was so sad. When she I was lost an extraordinary her. talent. It's very sad that we lost her. Yeah, but uh, Empire would not exist without Interview. I, I say that uh, well, as loudly and as often as I can. Have you seen the um, the AMC television series of Interview with the Vampire? No, I know I haven't. I remember it's that had really, come really good. It's really, really good. It's really okay. good. Like, not just good. Like, I say this as a, I'm an uber fan of that book. It's one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah. And the the bar 
like I went into it with deep skepticism. Like I had a friend of mine tell me it was great and she's also an Anne Russ fan. I was like, oh, it, it can't be as good as you're telling me it is. It's better. It's, it's astonishingly awesome. well, mate. It's like a, it's like a, it's a comment. It's like a meta text. It's a comment on the original novel. It's like a revisit of the original interview in the book set in contemporary times. And Louis is retelling the story that he okay. told back in the 1970s. Uh, Amazing. And, and he's kind of being the, he, you know, the, the interviewer is kind of poking and prodding him a little bit more about some of the mistruths because he's spoken to Lestat in the intervening years. And so he knows that Louis wasn't maybe wasn't telling the whole truth. So they're yeah. kind of re-examining the original story in the light of modern context. It's it's like commenting on itself. It's super meta. It's so well made. And the and the actors in it are just killer. Like the actor who plays the stat is amazing. The actor who plays Louis is amazing. Seriously go and watch it. It's really good. I'm excited. Well, did they get how did they do with Claudette? Is it Claudette? I'll send her Claudia. That, she's Claudia. Great. Claudia. She, that's it. Thank she's, you. Claudia is my favorite character in that book. Um, she's yeah, she makes it. She's the catalyst. Like the relationship between Louis and the status is really interesting. But the whole thing kind of like she's the match to the to the Tinder. She sets everything on fire. So she's the most interesting character to me. And also conceptually, it's really cool the idea of a grown woman trapped in a child's body and the the absolute rage and frustration that instills in her that kind of just builds to a boil over the book. It's really cool. So she's. She's different in the TV series, but the same. Um, she's she's not the character from the book, but she also is the character from the book. It's really it's really interesting, and the more you say about that series, the less you say about it, the better. The more blind okay. you go into it, the more fun you will have with it. Okay. All I will say is that it is definitely worth your time. It is it if you're a fan of those books, if you're a fan of Anne Rice. You should watch that series. It's it's pretty extraordinary. It's some of the best TV that I've seen in a really long time. And season two cool. is just about to come out, I think. So Ooh, there's seasons. Okay, high praise. It, yes. It's great. It's great. Awesome. Like where this podcast has been brought to you by <laughs> by AMC interview with the Vampire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited to dive in. We'll we'll return and we'll tell you how what we thought. We'll tell All you right. how All right. Enjoy. Yes. I love yeah. it. I feel like well, I feel like we talked a lot about Empire, and we've talked a lot about Nevernight. Um, is there? I'm like, is there any particular scene or moment in any of those books? Because you've talked about just like having that visual. You're a visual writer, and and I write for fun on the side, and and I actually just see scenes first as well, and and f- understand that like visual flooding of information. Is there any one scene in any of your books that just was super visceral to you that? that it still is one of your favorites to visualize yeah there's a few (laughs) i'm like you're like there's many answers to this question yeah i mean in in terms of the visuals being super crisp um there's the battle of the twins in empire of the vampire where gabe kind of looks down the mountain and sees the army of the undead kind of coming up the mountain on the other side, I can see that in my head like a film. Like I can see that whole scene playing at super high resolution in my head. Um, when Mia kills Valdir, the the pirate, the king of scoundrels in Dark yes. Dawn, uh, when she kind of teleports up and twists around and cuts his head off in front of all his boys, I can see that playing out in my head like a movie. Um, That's my favorite part of the I, whole series. I, I, I like it. <laughs> 
basic. It's my favorite part. Uh, um, and also the the firefights, the kind of space battles in Illumina are pretty high resolution as well in my head. Like everything exists in a visual format, but some some is kind of clearer and more defined than others. I I learned I learned only recently that not everybody sees that way in their head. Like you you said, Alex, that you're a visual thinker as well. Um, I didn't realize that not everybody sees pictures in their heads the way that I do. I saw a, a poll on Twitter. It was like five apples kind of laid out in a row and the one on the far left was kind of photo real high resolution far right was just a green blob and it kind of reduced in resolution a line and the question was when you asked to picture an apple in your head what do you see and i thought everyone just saw the one on the left they just see an apple like photo in the head but apparently not everyone does it was a real revelation for me i didn't really understand that not everyone has the same kind of visual brain that i do so, yeah, that's probably a, a huge advantage, particularly when I'm writing, yeah, kind of high-level action scenes. I can all, I'm almost transcribing the film that I see playing out in my head. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm writing action, I kind of get as close to flow state as I ever do when I'm writing. I'm just kind of stream of consciousness writing, describing the film that I see playing on the inside of my eyelids. So, yeah, yeah probably pretty lucky in that respect. But, yeah, Battle of the Twins. Assassination of Valdir and yeah, some of the firefights at Illuminate would would be the sharpest. Sorry, I was just thinking about how I think that why we're so drawn, like Alex and I in particular, which I think we could say a lot of your fans are drawn to your books because you well, one, you're a visual thinker as well, but two, you curate your books different <laughs> than any other author I've met. And I mean this in the best way. It is a curated experience with all of your books that I've ever read, that it's it, the visuals that you create, whether it's literally in the book, like you said, like maps or, you know, in the Illuminate files that whole, you have to own those books because of the visuals, like sure. that, make, that makes the books. Um, footnotes, you know, like everything you do, you add a different curated aspect to it that I've seen from any other author and i think that's why we appreciate it so much is we we love curated experiences oh, yeah. clearly yeah sure <laughs> uh, you know and i just was like oh it just like dawned on me sitting here i'm like that's something i don't feel like i see hardly ever out there like that often and i appreciate that so much with your books that it is curated from beginning to end all throughout top to bottom like and that i see everything you write played out for like like a movie so easily for me yeah for me there's a huge value in the idea of the book as object and the book as an experience like just the idea of holding it in your hand and feeling the weight and, and smelling it as one thing but having the object have some significance outside just the experience of reading is a really cool thought to me whether it be through an illustration or a footnote or one of the one of the coolest moments of my career i was on a tram here in Melbourne and someone was reading Illuminate and I was kind of watching them off out of the corner of my eye. I didn't want to be a super stalker, creepy guy. Um, but they, they reached the point in the book where, um, you know, Ezra is homing in on the target that he's supposed to blow up and the typography is kind of spiraling into a tighter and tighter circle into the middle of the page as the ship he's flying in kind of zooms in on the target. And this lady was reading Illumina. She obviously reached that page and she's like holding up in front of her. And then I saw her kind of twist the book in her hand and she <laughs> was reading the, reading the, 
viral of typography. I thought, oh, that, that's, that was a really cool moment to watch her engage with the object in a way yes. that you don't usually see people today. That was cool. I was like, it's a gift. Keep doing it, please, because it's clearly working. And <laughs> I'll, I try. Think, I'll try. I'll try. I think it works as to why you have an intensely incredible, uh, like loyal fan base. Yeah. Your yeah, fans. They're amazing. Wait, how many times has this happened? I think you've taken down several websites when like books go live. You uh, know, a couple for, of times. You know, yeah. It's for awesome. orders, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> and uh, so I was going to just kind of pivot about that because I wanted to hear a little bit about some of your fans because I know that they gift you things or that uh, it's very common, I feel like, with your books in particular that people get tattoos yeah they do yeah it's amazing um i i asked uh, readers to send me all their tattoos the other day uh, I'm, I'm slowly compiling a reel on instagram for it uh yeah some of the artwork that people get put on their body is amazing there was a i just did a couple of appearances in spain a few weeks back and there was a gal who came along to the signing and she had like a full sleeve a full nevernight sleeve but she had only had done a few few weeks before um and it was i think she said it took like 13 hours or something in the chair to get done like the, the work was just meticulous the artist was beautiful um but yeah the the idea that people would take a character that i wrote or words that i wrote and that had such significance to them that they would put that on their body for the rest of their lives is yeah that's an extraordinary thought it's it's really humbling and really gratifying i i can't think of much cooler than that the idea that yeah the character has come to mean that much to to a reader it, it's super cool i have i like i have tattoos of all of my books but i wrote them so of course they're, <laughs> they're going to be significant to me but the idea that they can mean that much to somebody else yeah it's, it's a real gift i have yeah. every author says it but i have i have the best readers in the world they're an amazing group of people yeah i i mean i think um just kind of going off of what you and Kelly have been talking about. First of all, it's it's high risk to write a book that like Illuminate. Um that's not that's a a hard sell to a publisher um because it's so out of the norm and sure. I feel like pub publishers because they're a business have to make decisions about what they know is going to sell in volume. And so I feel like um uh they were wise to sign Illuminate, and I know that that was a risk. And that was a risk to spend your time writing it. And I think uh, Nevernight 2 is, um, I mean, it's a 16-year-old a girl, but it's not a YA. And um, girl. no, no. It, 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 no. it is like a... a like a horror fantasy adult epic like there's so many layers to it and then empire of the vampire i feel like yeah it definitely belongs on the shelf next to Anne rice which is again not twilight not that same you <laughs> think you know and so um i think it makes sense to me why fans see the authenticity and the depth in your stories and why they would want to get tattoos because it is such a visually immersive experience and it means something to them and so it makes sense to me i don't there wasn't a question there i was just like yeah i concur <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, I've had some pretty awesome experiences over the years pretty amazing letters from readers uh letting me know that you know my, my books and my characters have got them through some pretty heavy stuff in their lives um but uh, even you know it, it, 
even if it's like I say, something as simple as making you smile or making you laugh or making you cry. Um, that that is as close to magic as it gets. The idea that these people who live in my head that I create sitting on my couch here in Melbourne wearing my sweatpants and bug boots um, can can come to have that level of significance for people. Yeah, it's it's really extraordinary. That is it is a pretty amazing job that I get to do. So thanks to everyone out there who lets me do it. Yeah. I'm all, that's incredible. I just really think, you know, we've known you off and on at Litjoy, but before then, you know, when you were just, um, when you were not there coming to Utah and we got to meet you, things like that. There's just something so authentic, I feel like, about you that these fans, your your fan base, it's like, in my mind, getting tattoos because they want to connect with you, right? They want to connect sure. with you and and your characters. It's kind of a combo. I think it's just such a um, a beautiful gift that you are able to take such authentic um, characters, put them in these books, you know, while somehow, again, let knife edge of violent and intense, these dark things happen. Also really sexy. Sexy. <laughs> yeah. There's always good. a good little good. spice. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I'm like... I don't. We don't have any questions. We're just like no we love your stuff. I was like, <laughs> we're fans. Thank, thank you. It's really sweet of you. Thank you. I I really appreciate it. It's awesome. Um, and yeah, it 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 is really gratifying to to meet readers. Like meeting readers is the best part of the job. Um, being on tour isn't all that fun. It's kind of twenty two hours of not much fun. You know, you're mm-hmm. in an airport, you're in a cab, you're in a hotel. But actually meeting readers and getting to see the look on people's faces and hear the stories they tell you and you know, show you the tats or tell you some family anecdote about how they met their husband in a bookstore reading them out or whatever. Um, yeah, and that is the best part of the job. So I'm intensely grateful to the readers who let me do this because it is the best job that I've ever had. It's extraordinary that I get to tell stories for a living. So to everyone out there who's read one of my books or pushed it into the hands of a friend or got a tattoo or whatever, yeah, thank you. Because, yeah, you let me do this. I couldn't do it without you. Awesome. Well, I have we have just kind of three final questions um, that are that we like to ask a lot of our authors that we interview. Sure. the The first one is if you could sit down and have coffee with any author, living or deceased, who would it be, and why? We talked about Stephen and Anne, and I'm just I'm on first name basis with both of them. Oh, good, and- <laughs> good. You put in a good word for me. Any yeah, author, yeah. living or dead. Yeah. Uh, and it could be bourbon, not coffee. It would probably be Douglas Adams, I think. Really? Um, oh, that's yeah. I love I love Douglas Adams. I love Hitchhiker's God. I know it is good. It's the best. The best. One of the best. Yeah, it's, I I think it's probably the my favorite sci-fi ever written. Um, but also, he was an incredibly interesting character. He was just an interesting man. It would be cool to just sit and talk. You know, not even talk shop with him. Just talk about life. Um, yeah, but he he was. He was smart. He was funny. He was insightful. He was irreverent. Uh, he, he was a character, a real character. So yeah, he would he would be my pick. But you know, Stephen as well. Um, it, if that you know, opportunity presented itself, yeah, he'd be okay. I, I would. <laughs> You're I all would right. Turn in, I would be trying very hard not to turn into a puddle on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> like he's 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 the guy. He's he's the reason why I'm an author. You know, um, yeah. And just having the opportunity to tell him that, and I'm sure. He gets told things like that all the time. Uh, but, yeah, it, it would be cool just to let him know what an incredible influence he was on me. 
and just you know a generation of writers i'm sure so yeah we're gonna get him to like blurb your book i know like oh yeah sure we'll just We've got power, energetic <laughs> nice. power, something. Nice. We'll put it out there. Everyone listening, tweet Steven. Yeah. yeah. Like we're going to yeah. get. Hashtag manifest. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all, we can do this. Let's do it. Let's get, like put the Swifties on it. I feel like the they Swifties could help. Solve it. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. They have the power. <laughs> okay. Next question. What are you reading right now? Mm-hmm. I am reading a manuscript for a friend. Um a lot of my reading in these days is uh, is spent reading for friends. Uh, but I'm also reading a book called Dark Air uh, by C.S. Picat, which came out uh, not so long ago. I think it came out at the start of November uh, because I was I read the manuscript in its early form, but I hadn't actually read the finished copy. Uh, so I'm reading the finished copy now. It arrived in my post box a few days ago. Uh, so that's uh, her name is C.S. Picat. She's the author of the Captive Prince series. And she's yep. doing a YA fantasy series. The first one was called Dark Rise, uh, and part two, Dark Air, came out in November. So, yeah, I'm reading the the final final copy of that, seeing well, seeing whether she listened to the changes that I suggested that she. Made. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. She did. She, did. she listened to most of them. <laughs> yeah, like she did. Just just so you know, you're all. It's, she listened. Yeah. That's I feel funny. like I would do that too. So I'm like totally get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You just ignore what I said. Sure, whatever. <laughs> no, no big deal. <laughs> I'm like, that's the story of my life. I like to give advice. Just that's what I'm naturally good at. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, it wasn't unsolicited <laughs> advice. She did, she did ask me for my She opinion. did solicit. <laughs> the door to our house says, hey, she changed that thing. Change the whole that's thing. Right. It's not working. No. Um, yeah, I'm one of her beta readers. So, yeah, she's an amazing author. You should check her stuff out. I am. I'm reading the first series because you emailed oh, me about it. Oh, amazing. Oh, of course. Yes. It's yeah. very contentious. A yes. very, a very contentious series. Uh, but also a huge fandom. Like uh, the Captain Prince fandom makes the Nevernight fandom look like kindergartners. Like they're, they're, <laughs> they're full on. But yeah, I hope you're enjoying it. Yeah. It's been very entertaining. Um, I, we do have one final question, which I feel like you've given lots of recommendations. So you can just say, refer to my last recommendation. But uh, we do have, as a final question, what book do you recommend to anyone? So just a general book to anyone. That is a tricky one. My, I mean, my favorite fantasy novel in recent years is Stray's Dreamer. Uh, I think Lainey Taylor. Yeah, she's my favorite fantasy author, I think, of all time. She's an extraordinary like I've read a lot of fantasy at this point and I can kind of see, you know, you can kind of see the strings. You can, you can see yep. the engine underneath the hood. You, you figure out what's happening and why reasonably quickly laning. I can't, I, I can't make sense. of. It's what not she even does a vehicle. Now. Like you're, no. you go to like a different dimension. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Um, she's an extraordinary talent, but even on a, even on a prose level, like she can, describe something as simple as as a kiss and it can go for like a paint and a half and you realize at the end you know she she, she has a way of casting almost a spell with her words she's yeah, yeah truly extraordinary uh so strange the dreamer is a book that i recommend to everybody um house of leaves by mark danielewski is also a book that i recommend to everybody uh it's Going back to what I was saying before, as far as book as object, book as experience, it's it's probably the most well constructed book 
in that sense. It kind of breaks the idea almost of what a book can be and should do. It's like a tactile experience as well as a, a narrative experience. It's a book within a book within a book. It's operating on levels that, that, that yeah, truly extraordinary. Um, so if you haven't read that, it, it's an amazing kind of, it's kind of a horror novel, I guess, is the best way to describe it. But it does similar things that we did with Illuminate. I didn't even know that House of Leaves existed when we were working on Illuminate. And a friend of ours, Marie Lou, uh, I mean, I sent her the initial manuscript for Illuminate and she wrote back and says, like, have you guys read House of Leaves? If not, you should. Uh, and I kind of went away and read it after we did the first Illuminate novel. And yeah, it's, it's, it sounds kind of wanky to say this, but it's not really a book. It's an experience. I know how terribly pretentious that sounds, but yeah, it, it's, it's a, an extraordinary piece of work. So yeah, it's one of my favorite books ever. I love this. I'm adding that to my to be read. House of Leaves. Final, House, House of, of Leaves. Yeah. Final question. No, final, what final are question. you working on personally right now? And te- what can you tell our listeners as to what to expect from you in the next upcoming year? Uh, so I'm working on the third Empire of the Vampire novel. Uh, number two is all kind of done and dusted. Uh, and it's, I think it's after the print is very, very soon, if not already. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm working my way through book three. Uh, I'm trying to get a hundred thousand words done by Christmas. So keep your fingers crossed for me so I can take a couple <laughs> of weeks off. Um, so yeah, that's going really well. Uh, I'm also, we also announced a couple of weeks ago, I, I've done a little bit of work for DC, uh, DC comics. I was like a, a comic book fan since I was a little kid. And I'm buddies with one of the bigger authors at DC, kind of Tom Taylor. And he kind of threw an opportunity my way. And I was in between. I had handed in the manuscript on book two of Empire and I was waiting for edits to come back. So I had this kind of window in which I could do something just totally different. So I wrote a six-part uh, comic book series, uh, which is coming out, I think, in June next year. Uh, we're kind of doing the artwork for it now. Uh, and it, it Guy named T.S.O. Collins, he's a Spanish illustrator, he's doing really cool artwork for it. it it's again, it, it's kind of, I always have to do something a little bit weird and a little bit special. I'm a little bit extra in that way. So <laughs> the artwork, the artwork and the, the premise for the book is a little bit different than a regular comic book, but we get to, we get to talk a little bit more about that in detail in the new year. So yeah, that's coming out in June. Uh, and I'm also, I started working kind of in terms of world building and uh, basic structure on a new trilogy as well, which I get to talk about in the new year as well. So there's, uh, we've just, we've sold in some more books to my publisher uh, in recent months and yeah, we get to announce that next year. So I'm kind of doing kind of preliminary pre-production work on that in the background while I'm finishing off Empire. So lots of stuff, very busy, but very cool. This is very exciting very for cool. all of us. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Uh, and we're also just uh, starting to talk about tour as well. So I'll be on tour for Empire of the Damned. I'm going to be traveling over to the UK and to the US. Uh, so we're kind of we're working out all the tour details there. So, yeah. I was it's like, busy, are but- you coming to Utah? Do we need to plug Utah? Do we need to provide a facility? Do we need to host you in Utah? I just, <laughs> so I many questions. Don't, <laughs> I all. don't think I'm getting to Utah this time. I'm only I'm there. Putting it out there. I'm only there a week. 
Oh, uh, that's fast. In yeah, the US. it's pretty quick. I mean, it's a big country. It is huge. Yeah, um, we're still we're still organizing final details, but I don't think I get to Salt Lake this time. Sadly, which is a bit of a bummer. I'm like, how far west are you coming? Let us know. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll figure it out. I'll probably, I'll probably be in Seattle, almost certainly. I'm not sure how far that is from Utah, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from so, Seattle. Yeah. I grew up oh, in okay. Seattle. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I, think, I think Seattle is like 99% definite at this point. So maybe we'll catch up there. That would be awesome. We're all trip. I was like, I know. I love Seattle. <laughs> Seattle's about an Road hour trip. and a half flight yeah. from us. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So all right. Could you, could you like jump into a car and drive? How long would it take to drive? Uh, like 18. Trip? Like 18 hours. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, no, I forget that. Yeah. I'm not that into yeah, no. quick flight. I was like, we make enough money to fly and not have to drive. <laughs> yeah, no, if I thought we, maybe you could like, do, do a road trip adventure, but 18 hours, no, I'm, I'm just not that <laughs> no. entertaining. I'm not a spring chicken anymore for that. No. <laughs> no, yeah. We get sore in the car. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much. Thanks Jay. for hanging out. This was incredible. I, Hannah just forgot the time. I yeah, just was sorry. We totally thoroughly enjoying our conversation. Yeah, so no, it's you. good. That's the, that's the best part of the conversation when it's just free-flowing and natural. It was a lot of fun. It was really cool talking to you guys too. Awesome. And please make sure to take a minute to rate and review us. It makes it possible for us to continue the podcast. And we're so grateful to all of you for doing so. Yeah. And like a good book, recommend us to your friends. <laughs>